0: Welcome to the Politics Classroom on UIC Radio, where music and culture ignite. I'm Professor Floros, and I'm really excited to welcome into the classroom today Professor Christopher Mooney, the W. Russell Arrington Professor of State Politics in the Department of Political Science at UIC. I plan to ask Professor Mooney about the crazy world of Illinois state politics, so let's get started in the Politics Classroom on Tuesday, October 22, 2019. So you're listening to The Politics Classroom on UIC Radio, streaming live on radio.uic.edu. I'm Professor Floros, and you can reach me on Twitter, at Dr. Floros. My guest in the classroom today is Professor Christopher Z. Mooney, the W. Russell Arrington Professor of State Politics in the Political Science Department at UIC. Professor Mooney received his bachelor's degree in English from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and a Ph.D. in Political Science from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Professor Mooney was instrumental in the creation and promotion of the study of state politics within the American Political Science Association. And every year a cash prize is awarded in his name for the year's best dissertation in state politics and policy. Before joining the faculty at UIC in 2017, Professor Mooney taught at the University of Illinois at Springfield. He has also been involved with the Institute of Government and Public Affairs since 2004, serving as its director from 2013 to 2017. Professor Mooney studies comparative U.S. state politics with a special focus on state legislatures. So welcome to the politics classroom, Professor Mooney.
1: Well, thanks a lot, Kate. Pleasure to be here. I'm,
0: I'm glad you're here because Illinois politics is completely foreign to me. All oh, right.
1: okay. And foreign politics are foreign to me, so okay, that works great. out just right.
0: Yeah, very good. Okay, so when I first came to UIC,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I had a different office than I do now. And within the first weeks of my being here, they were putting up pictures on the wall of four men only one of whom I recognized and when I asked who these people were I was told that they were the four former Illinois governors who had gone to prison Mm -hmm. for corruption now that's not how I would have chosen to decorate my office space but but there it was so there are four former Illinois governors who have gone to prison. So what is up with Illinois? Is it the most corrupt state? What's going on?
1: Well, you know, uh, you know what? You know, the, we haven't had we've had uh, we have to find a uh, tune out a little bit because it's not only four Illinois governors that have gone four Illinois governors in the last 40 years <laughs> okay. have gone to prison, including two uh, right in a row uh, who both, in fact, were serving in the federal. Uh, penitentiary at the same time. Oh, wow. At one point. For Did they a share a cell? No, they were different. Uh, one was in Terre Haute and one was in uh, oh, Littleton. Okay. <laughs> so uh, they didn't keep them together. They were different parties, you know, so they oh, keep okay. them apart.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: yeah. That was George Ryan and uh, Rod Bogoyevich.
0: Yeah. And George yeah. Ryan got a highway named after him.
1: Well, you know, George Ryan was a big figure in Illinois politics for a long time. Very important guy. He, uh, you know, he came up through the Kankakee machine. And people think about the the Chicago political machine but Kankakee certainly had its uh, much smaller machine okay it was uh, basically run by a guy who had a Cadillac dealership and if you wanted to get ahead in Kankakee County politics you had to buy your Cadillac from this guy and uh, he, oh he looked out for George or a pharmacist and uh you know got but he went in the state house he was a speaker of the house in fact george ryan was a speaker of the house when the era was killed some people say george ryan is the man that killed the era are you kidding me no uh during the uh the debate <laughs> illinois was one of the states that had already um ratified the e- equal rights amendment uh in the 70s i forget the exact date uh that this was but then there was a push uh, to deratify in a number of places, decertify, and and um, there was a huge Illinois was sort of the center of, of it, and uh, there was major protests. Uh, people chained themselves to the chamber. Uh, pig's blood was poured on the floor of the House of Representatives. Wow! And George Ryan was the Speaker of the House, and he again uh, presided over the <laughs> basically the the, the 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 knifing of the ERA.
0: What was the justification? They hate women uh
1: no i don't you know those you know <laughs> the arguments about why wow, we have to get into this i don't know i mean uh, I, okay yeah the, uh, no i don't i know i don't want to get into it i mean but you know back in the 70s people uh, things were a little different back then sure my question is why don't we have it now you know uh when <laughs> Good you know question. <laughs> yeah. well so. they can't
0: even get the uh uh equal pay for equal work act through congress they're not going to yeah. get a whole constitutional amendment <laughs> right. okay so in one report that I looked at, the U.S. Mm-hmm. News and World Report, top 15 most corrupt states in the U.S. in 2017, Illinois did not make the list. Mm-hmm. But—
1: Well, what are their criteria?
0: Okay, see, that's the other thing I was going to say, because the, the research that our colleague Dick Simpson and his team puts mm-hmm. out about corruption, Chicago is the most corrupt city, and Illinois is the third most corrupt state.
1: Yeah, Louisiana and New Jersey? Probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, that's usually how it goes.
0: But but Dick's team looks at convictions. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be sunny and optimistic, you could say that it's just because Illinois and Chicago are really good at catching and prosecuting their corrupt people, not that there are, you know... There's a
1: lot. Yeah. I mean, there's two ways. You're exactly right. There's two ways of looking at it. Either you've got so many people being so corrupt that it's a lot more people getting arrested or you've got very uh, zealous prosecutors who are really doing a great job and getting all the corruption out. Um, I don't think it's the latter uh, in (laughs) Illinois, necessarily. In fact, it's almost never the case that state and local prosecutors uh, pursue political corruption. It's almost all as federal prosecutors, at uh-huh. least in the state of Illinois. Okay, largely for political reasons, I think. Uh, uh, you know, the, the the feds have an incentive to do this. They want to, ha- you know, they, yeah. they they love it. I mean, it's to be the, the to be the state U.S. Attorney from the Northern District of Illinois is a plum job because you've got an opportunity to hang a lot of big skins on your wall. Hmm. Which uh, Patrick Fitzgerald, who was uh, that held that position uh, in sort of uh, late 2000s early 2000s he, during this uh, during much of this he he you know he he was king he, mm-hmm. he killed two 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 governors and all sorts of other people scooter libby you know lots <laughs> oh, of stuff wow. yes he was yeah so that's so that's <laughs> a very strong incentive for the feds at the at the at the state and local level our prosecutors are elected uh, and uh, you know, so we have state's attorneys. That's right. what we call them. Right there, some places they call them district attorneys. But here we call them state's attorneys, and they're by and large elected. Well, they are elected on a, on a county by county basis. So they're they're not pandering to a national audience. They're not pandering to their colleagues in the prosecutorial bar that they want to impress. They're you know they want to get reelected. Right. And uh, you know uh, when you're inv- digging up. Uh, Into corruption issues Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes that makes people uncomfortable unhappy uh, and so you just don't see that very often by the by the state prosecutors
0: so what would you identify as a possible reason why there is such a corruption problem in Illinois and I'm assuming this is not just in Chicago or the governor's office that this is maybe more widespread well
1: you know, there's a, what we call corruption. I mean, the, the question is, I mean, we, the word corruption gets thrown around a lot. So the question is, what, what exactly do we mean by that? Okay. Are we talking about quid pro quo, as we all know about now? <laughs> or, there was no pro quo quid or something, but I mean, that, that, that's obviously a bribery situation. But some, you know, corruption could also be more general and not necessarily illegal. People talk about, well, it's a, it's you know the. A, a corrupt system because uh... redistricting was uh, disenfranchised a bunch of people or it's a corrupt system because um, uh... interest groups tend to be biased in favor of the wealthy and the producer class uh... and so they have more say in the legislative process and that's not illegal right. in fact uh... you know the latter is protected by the constitution as a as a first amendment right to petition the government and assemble but um, the kind of the illegal stuff that the problem with this whole business about what's the most corrupt state, and that's it, is that this is a sort of activity that's very difficult to ex- to study, mm-hmm. uh, and you can imagine uh, a uh, a survey, uh, you know, state legislative survey. I'm a so state legislature sometimes, and I could do a survey, say, you know. Uh, you know, if, if, if a man came to you with a brown paper bag full of cash, you know, A, would you, you know, vote his way, B, uh, turn him in, C, look the other way.
0: Put it in the freezer. Yes, <laughs> right.
1: Or, or, or another one would be, on this, you know, uh, like a feeling thermometer score of how much would it cost to uh, to buy a vote? <laughs> from you. So the problem is that, you know, the, the people gen- generally don't answer those questions. Right. Uh, I can uh, cor- see why uh, they might. There's a, there's a normative bias there. And sure. most people answer correctly because they aren't corrupt. But those that are corrupt, I'm not gonna tell you uh, in a survey, more than likely. Uh, and it's also very few people that are involved in this. I've, you know, I heard a lot of stories. I spent, you know, like you said, I spent about 15 years down in Springfield, I spent a lot of time in the States and a lot of stores. there's D- a lot of lobbying, training, trained a lot of lobbyists and stuff. Uh, and- um,
0: You trained lobbyists? Yes. Oh, yeah. let's talk afterwards. Okay. <laughs> uh,
1: and, um, well, yeah, and um, the, the people uh, who you know, I know? A lot of people have been lobbies for a long time. Mm-hmm. Talk about there was a day when you would see brown paper bags uh, in the General Assembly, but that day is passed. People are more subtle about it these days, <laughs> uh, if they do it at all. Right, right. You know, so uh, you know the question of which is most corrupt. Yeah. What is you know? It, it's it's extremely hard to study. You know, it depends on the measures you're using, but there is no doubt that. Uh, Illinois is certainly a place where public corruption is uh, uh, something that we've had for a long time and it's a, it's part of our ethos and our concern. We worry about it, it happens, we've seen it. we don't want it to happen again. Now you asked where it came from. Yeah. okay. And that's another another tough question. But by and large what we're talking about if, if you' ta- if, if you're talking about corruption as or as if you're talking about relationship in where in politics, political, benefit is given for financial benefit in some way. So I vote for you, you give me a half pint of whiskey. Okay. That's that's a straight up corruption deal. Uh and would be a quid pro quo. This starts happening, this kind of thing at a very low level. And again, half a pint of whiskey, the hot of coal, you know, this is a great word for your crossword, hot, H O D. They would always talk about a hot of you know, the the party would give a hot of coal to these people. Uh, and that would help them, and then they would come and vote. And this happened, by and large, in particular in the late 19th and early 20th century, in the major cities in the East and the Midwest, where you had big floods of immigrants coming mm-hmm. in from Eastern Europe, from Southern Europe, and they were not acculturated to a democracy. They didn't have that's not right. where they came from, right? And uh, and they weren't acculturated to the United States. It's kind of sucked. I mean, you think about these people coming up over the border in Mexico, uh, the people coming over. You know, and the ships oftentimes were in much better shape, right? So they didn't, you know, they you know, they, 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 left everything at home. They knew nothing. They knew no one, and they showed up. And so they needed some help. And there weren't social workers in those days. Mm-hmm. There weren't, well, a, you know, limited. Jane Addams. Yeah, I mean, right. they were inventing social work right, at that right. period. Uh, but they didn't, you know, and government wasn't about helping poor people. Government was very limited. Uh, so who was going to help them? Uh, religion, uh, churches, is one place, mm-hmm. but another big place was the political parties. Okay. And the political parties in the, in the big cities, uh, they saw people come down. They saw votes, uh, and this was back in the day when it was easier and quicker to get to be able to be a citizen and vote when mm-hmm. you were an immigrant uh, than it is today. And so people would be coming off the boat, and they'd say, "Yes, welcome to America. You know, here's your hot of coal. You know, you need an apartment. We'll show you. You know, we know. And and oh yeah, when election time comes, you know, you, we need your vote. You helped us. We'll help you." And it, and it seemed like a perfectly uh, reasonable thing that these immigrants come. Sure. They never, they never had a vote before. Here, sure. oh great, well, I'm and getting something. These people something are for helping it. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 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 the, the, and this led to what we referred to as political machines Okay. Uh, in uh, where, again, the whole point of a political machine is not to solve the public problems, it's to p- perpetuate the machine itself, mm-hmm. to, to make sure that those, you know, you run for office uh, and try to get into office to help those people that got you into office and get them a job uh, so that they can help you again in the next, you know office again and yeah. it's, a, it's a self-perpetuating process so so you saw that in spades in chicago like you did elsewhere mostly in the 20th mid 20th century those faded out with uh acculturation uh, with television with uh you know inter- you know with world war ii and people moving all over the place and mm-hmm. seeing how things don't have to be this way but my argument is that uh, richard dale richard j dale the original richard mm-hmm. j dale who was a mayor from 1955 to 1976 i believe i have the dates right uh, he was a machine man. That's where he came from, and he was extraordinarily good at building the machine. So he he, he kept the po- the political party, Democratic political party machine. They were not weren't always Democratic, but mostly they were. And, and in Illinois, it was Democrats, at least in Chicago. And he kept it in, sh- in in functioning, well functioning for many years past, almost any other sort of machine in quotes around the country. We have just the bare remnants of that anymore, but the idea that government is there uh, to, to to as an opportunity to get an individual ahead and not as there's some parts of the country where government is seen as sort of a a moral shining stand. you know we are we're here to, to, to improve to uplift the human race mm-hmm. as they used to say to to shining city on the hill everybody look at us and how great we are uh, and in and, and, and government is seen in some ways as, as a, above the norm above that the, the dirty commercial plane it's something pure and lovely and and, and priest like you know you get into it if you know not to make yourself rich but right. to get into to help others it's right. altruistic uh, you know, there's an old joke, um, an old cartoon from the Reagan era, like a one, one pan, I think it was a New Yorker, where it was uh, a guy answering the door, one man standing open, the, door, the other guy's got a briefcase and he's reaching out his hand and says, hello, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. And that was, that was funny in, in, in the 80s, right? But it's not funny to people in those sorts of places. So like Wisconsin and Minnesota and Iowa, you know, places where it's cold, it comes over from <laughs> New England. Uh, and you know, so there's that kind of attitude where government is a special place. That okay, that it's it's about. And there's, and there's other parts of the country, primarily the southeast, the old states of the Confederacy, mm-hmm. uh, where government is by and large thought of as a way to maintain the social status quo. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, keep people. You know, I- we don't you know you know whereas in the in the in the sort of Wisconsin area everybody gets involved we all should participate it's our duty we need to help. in those other places down in the south it's like no we don't want you right. <laughs> if you're not part of the social elite or the economic elite you don't not only don't you have to vote no aren't you obligated to vote we don't want you to vote
0: right and we'll put in measures to make that's it very right. difficult for that's you to vote that's right okay yeah.
1: so and but we're in, we're different in the sense that in Illinois and also in states like Pennsylvania and in Indiana and in a sort of a Maryland um we go, politics and government is thought of more just kind of similar to the commercial marketplace it's like if you want to get ahead in the world you could go be an accountant if you want to or you could run for the legislature if you want to you know either way it's okay it's you know it's not like going into the priesthood it's just another job hmm. and um you know and so that government is you know it's nuts and bolts it's get it done uh it's not about ideology it's about I would say Illinois politics is about where you pour the concrete. (laughs) Who's who's getting who's getting stuff from government? That's what we care about. And of course, that leads to these sort of bribery because it's not the priesthood, right? You know, it's just getting stuff. And if I can get stuff another way, maybe that's not such a bad thing.
0: (laughs) So my guest is UIC political science professor Chris Mooney, and we're talking about politics in Illinois. You're listening to Professor Floros in the Politics Classroom on UIC Radio, where music and culture ignite. Welcome back to the Politics Classroom on UIC Radio, streaming live at radio.uic.edu. I'm Professor Floros, and my guest in the classroom today is UIC political science professor Chris Mooney, an expert in state politics who's here to talk about Illinois politics. So since 2018, um, the Democrats have a supermajority in both houses of the Illinois legislature, so 74 of the 118 Representatives in the Illinois House are Democrats and 40 of the 59 Senators. But Democratic dominance in Illinois, at least in the in the legislature, is and, and the governorship actually is a relatively new phenomenon, right? So Illinois has had plenty of Republican governors, mm-hmm. including the most recent one.
1: Cool. Including yeah, right, huh.
0: and the state legislature was dominated by Republicans until what, maybe the late nineties. So a, what led to kind of the flip from um, more Republican <coughs> control to now the supermajority of Democrats, and does redistricting have something to play with why the Democrats got ended up with a supermajority?
1: Okay. Um, that, those are really good questions, and, and a lot of people are concern, are confused about that, uh, about why this is the case. First of all, let me say the redistricting which is the drawing of legislative maps, and you can try to, you know, manipulate that to, you know, if you're drawing it to make your party, you know, be more successful. That can have a, a little bit of an effect on outcomes, but by and large, it's it's just marginal. It's not that big. Uh, th- what really matters is demographics and politics, right? Okay. Uh, and uh, Illinois, for a long time, like uh, Ohio, like Indiana, was very much evenly split, Democrat and Republican, and it wasn't. That and that and that was uh, not necessarily an urban-rural split like it is today, because there was a lot of Democrats in Illinois uh, in the southern part of the state. In back when uh, we used to call them uh, Southern Democrats, uh, ran the southeastern part of the right. state. So you get you know Herman Talmadge and whatever these these really super reactionary racist <laughs> uh, Democrats right. going to Congress, right. right, and running the legislatures and being governors and stuff. So so Illinois had. Il- the southern part of Illinois, for those that people don't know it, uh, is, is much more like Kentucky than it is like Wisconsin or this is like Chicago, believe okay. me. And uh, you go by along. In fact, the southern tip of Illinois is below Richmond, in Virginia, in oh, terms really? of latitude. Yeah. Oh, and wow. the northern border is above Boston. So we're a very big state. Hmm. Uh, they used to call it the Long State. Uh, and uh, That's and a
0: boring name. Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, but uh, so so you used <laughs> to have a lot of Democrats. So just like the U.S. Congress used to have uh, you know a lot of Democrats from the South, so the, the the parties were not so polarized and they were kind of mixed. You had conservative Republicans and uh, conservative Democrats and liberal or moderate Republicans. Uh, that's the way it was in Illinois. But just like with the rest of the country, the parties have realigned okay. um, to more along their ideological uh, homes uh, or since basically since. Uh, uh, Well, Richard Nixon sort of starts it in 68 with the Southern strategy and then Ronald Reagan in particular in the 80s really solidifies that and 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 little by little the Democrats downstate Democrats have been just squeezed out they're very I think they're no, I think the last one in the house of the rural downstate areas lost last last go-around and uh, now there's you know there's a few will be around the Metro East area around st. Louis okay Uh, but, uh, and every now and then, like, there's a Democrat who represents Urbana now, uh, uh, but that's a different thing. She's uh, a black woman who's uh, very liberal, very socially uh, strident, and very big up-and-comer. So it's things that are just sort of themselves out over time. and, and it, it, so, so you don't have that sort of rump bunch of Democrats down there but what you do have is the whole southern part of the state sort of emptying out over the last hundred years so that's where all the you know the rural areas just like every other place in the country you know used to have to have you know five people to run a 40 acre farm now you need three people to run a 10000 acre farm right so you don't need people living so they all go to the cities and they're all coming up here to the northeast uh and once you get into you start into urban living you are much more inclined to be a democrat uh, over time uh, and that whether that's a chicken or egg question but it's right. certainly the case that people live in urban areas are more likely to be democrats uh and the way this uh, regions were split up in this state for we always think about it in three regions the city of chicago collar counties which are the suburban areas of five counties and and suburban cook around chicago and then downstate meaning everything else which okay. goes from rockford to cairo which People from downstate don't like that too much, but that's what I know. always
0: thought. You know, when you talk about upstate New York, right. you're talking Same about everything thing. that is not New York City. <laughs> <laughs> just like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Okay, but, but at least okay. everything is
1: up from there. Whereas here, it's not like, Rockford oh, right. is not up; it's right. over right. Right. Galena. Yeah. yeah. So, but but a key thing that's happened in the past 20 years is that the s- the suburban collar counties—DuPage, Will, Cook, Lake—I mean not Cook—part uh, par- of Cook, McHenry. Uh, and uh, uh, Kane I guess uh, are uh, had been among the most Republican places in the country DuPage in particular DuPage County was a lot like there's there's a place in Wisconsin called Waukesha County there's a place in California called uh, Orange County right uh, then one in New York is Westchester Westchester County right these are super super Republican places in the past but they are all changing. Mm. Uh, and you know this you hear about this with Trump and losing suburban support. That's what's going on. And this is there's two things. Number one, people are moving from the cities out to the suburbs and they're bringing their values and their party affiliation with them. okay. Uh, and the Republican Party, by veering off into the strong social advocacy, anti-abortion, anti-immigrant, you know all these things, they're alienating uh, a, a good chunk of that suburban, Voting block, which uh, in particular suburban, you know the, the suburban soccer mom, for lack of a better, right. uh, and, and these these are people who are c- fiscally conservative but they're socially liberal. They care about the schools, they care about positive They don't want to see kids in cages, and uh, they're not that crazy about war, but they don't like their taxes high either. So mm. these people are swing voters, and in fact, in Illinois on a statewide basis, it is it is that it is. It is the suburban soccer. This this woman living up in Schaumburg with you know a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old is worried about getting her kids a soccer and then get to work. She's the swing vote in the state. Mm. So if you want to win statewide, that's the vote you need. Mm. And okay. that's why Bruce Ronner Law is why he lost last time because he was seen as too too strident. And, and you know the budget situation was just ridiculous. So anyway, but. I guess I'm kind of meandering off, but no, the, no, no, the no, main no, that's point that's is that the de- the collar counties are getting more democratic, and that is what's driving most of this. In fact, DuPage County in this last in 2018 was a bloodbath for the Republicans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think three House members and a senator now, maybe two senators, have parted cage that are Democrats. N- unheard of ten years ago that that would ever happen.
0: Yeah, um, one of our students actually is um, I think working for one of the new state reps. DuPage uh, Democrat state state rep so
1: ah, okay yeah
0: okay so who is Mike Madigan and why should Illinois residents care about him
1: yeah Mike Madigan uh, Michael J Madigan is uh, a state representative from the southeast part of the city of Chicago Southwest sorry uh, in the old Irish neighborhoods uh, i an an Irish guy comes from the old Irish political structure that uh, he was a protege of Richard J Daly uh, was, uh, I was—I think he was a, pre- a precinct committee for him, which was always the—the uh, the what is that? A Precinct committee. This would be a party uh, apparatus, a party official, who is—you know—you have a, a precinct of uh, sort of several square blocks. that okay. It's your job to make sure those people get to the polls, and you know, it's—it's oh. it, uh, you know, okay. Any kind of yeah. information. You're the—you're the sort of local guy in this neighborhood, right? Okay. And uh, I need
0: to find mine. I have some complaints for my uh, alderman. Well, there you go. <laughs>
1: Uh, call your alderman he'll know yeah Um, so anyway so Madigan Madigan first becomes uh, so he's a a state rep that's a basic thing but he's also the speaker of the house and the speaker of the house is the elected the elected leader of the House of Representatives and uh, that is so the members of the House of Representatives at the beginning of this leg after first after a general election they get together they say okay who, we need leaders. We need somebody to run this because it's a mess if you don't have leaders. Right. 170 p- people run around like lunatics. Uh, and so they elect one of their own members to be the leader. And then they also have Republican leaders. Demo- they do it on a party basis. So whatever the majority party is, their leader becomes the speaker. And mm-hmm. he runs the whole thing or she runs the whole thing. Madigan has been the speaker longer than any other uh, person has been a speaker of a state house in the country in, in history of America. The oh really? Of the United States, How this, long has he been point. speaker? I mean, that's what I was. That's why I was slowing down. You, I think in 1982, he became Holy speaker, cow. or is it after 84, 82 or 84. And he was been Speaker, unbroken since then, except for one two-year period in the 90s, from 92 to 94, when uh, or 93-94, when the Republicans won a majority okay. in the in the House. That was the only time they have had a majority. They've been close, and you're right. I mean, they've been close many times. Before that, but in recent years, they're not even close because yeah. the Democrats are tending to dominate uh, at in the la- in the Senate, even even more so. Yeah, uh, that yeah. that
0: uh, statistic of fi- uh, forty out of fifty nine—that's pretty, yeah, pretty lopsided yes. in the Senate there. Okay, so 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 Ma- Madigan runs the Illinois House. Yes. And what impact does his long tenure as Speaker of the House? what does that have any implications for the kinds of policies or the kinds of laws that the legislature passes Do, is is he more important than whoever the speaker of the senate or whatever the leader of, the senate, of the senate president mm. of the senate is
1: yeah um in th- okay president of the senate versus speaker of the house they're the same role it's a majority leader in each chamber uh the difference is uh, the differences in this case are two one the smaller the chamber the less power the leaders are going to have because you don't need to have coordinate if you got if you only have you know 59 people it's easier to coordinate them than it is 118. so you don't have to give up as much power to these people. The other difference and this is idiosyncratic to these individuals is that because Mike Madigan has been in that chair for so long and because he's so good at it I mean, that's a chicken and egg thing. He's been there that long because he's really good at it. Okay. He keeps getting reelected by his members over and over again because he does what they want him to do, and that is to get them reelected and w- keep the majority in there.
0: Well, but also, isn't there like, if you go against the speaker, you will not get reelected, right? Like
1: he's a kingmaker in some in some regards. You know, and that that's 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 largely a myth, <laughs> to be honest with you. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, it's not that. The speaker might not want you to vote one way or the other, but he doesn't. W- but almost never is the speaker and any good legislative leader almost never will ask a member to vote against the interests of their district. Again, because the main goal of the of the leader is to get re- to make have their members get reelected so they can gain or retain a majority. Mm-hmm. And if you're if you're forcing your people to take bad votes, they're going to lose. So the job of the speaker actually is to sometimes they they try to they try to convince people to vote against them who are, I mean, especially junior oh, people, they're yeah. new, they're gung ho, they want to get, a yeah. And they're saying, no, no, you don't want to, no, you're, you're on the margin. Like if you just got elected from DuPage County, sure. you don't want to be, uh, you know, voting for, you know, increasing the minimum wage to $25 and right. turning us into a socialist country. I mean, that's not going to fly in DuPage. Right. Right. So, and the speaker knows that. And that's why, again, why he and his people are so good. They, they, you know, they know how to get that done. And in terms of policy, after the after he came back to power in the ni- in the mid nineties, Mike Madigan is largely has largely no policy agenda. He doesn't want any particular thing to happen. He doesn't want marijuana to be legalized or not legalized. He doesn't want taxes to go up or down. What he wants is to maintain his majority in of the Democratic Party uh, in in the House, and he will use. Policy, uh, you know, uh, votes, and and to 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 enhance the brand of the Democrats and make them look good, so they do get reelected. But he doesn't have a strong personal policy agenda, uh, which makes him an even better leader because uh, (laughs) that means he doesn't have, you know, he can he can do what's good for the caucus for his group of people uh, without having his own personal biases get in the way. The one thing he he used to have a sort of and. And he you know he used to have an attitude on policy but again being out of power in the 90s for a couple of years I think he learned that the you know to be a good leader of that kind he wanted to be right uh, that that's the, you know you want to get rid of your power he used to he used to be very concerned about parochial schools that was one thing he cared a lot about but about 10 years ago he lost on a bill he was fighting for having to do with parochial school funding it was like every, everybody right in the spring was like I can't believe Mike Madigan lost on this vote but he did and uh, but that was the only time really I can I can have a hard time remembering a time when he really cared personally about a particular issue he's 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 a more of an institutionalist he wants to keep the legislature strong he wants to keep it working and he wants to make it a co-equal branch with the governor okay uh, but he's not you know He's, he's got a bias article. about the city yeah. of Chicago. Yes, he likes it. I mean, he's a Chicago guy and so forth. But but he also knows that, you know, he can't run Rothschild over downstate or the collars and they're going to lose.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about that. Hmm. About I mean, I guess maybe I have always thought of politics as a higher calling and oh, <laughs> and this that's, transactional that's a different nature. political culture. Where yeah. are you from, Kate? Well, I'm from, <laughs> I'm from Western Pennsylvania, but you seem mm. to lump us into the...
1: Yes, yeah. And th- that, that raises a really good point because when I'm talking about political culture it's not what every individual thinks. Right. It's just how we do stuff around here. It's yeah. just sort of the what's in the water. It's the way it is. It's kind of the, the thinking in general. Not that people can't disagree yeah. or don't. And certainly there are people and oh here's a good example. There's a there's a person uh, that's been in Illinois politics recent uh, recently uh, that is ideological, very much so, cares deeply about certain issues. Uh, and what I'm thinking of is Je- named Jeannie Ives. Okay, she's a state, she was a state rep from out in Wheaton, uh, Wheaton, conservative. the formerly yeah. dry town uh-huh. in which there's a college where they just recently started letting them dance. Oh. Okay, that kind of place. Nice. Okay, uh, and, and and so she she's uh, stre- what we call movement conservative. You know, anti-abortion, extremely anti-tax. Uh, you know, anti-immigrant, anti you know Everything. whatever yeah <laughs> I mean just just very much as she's a she's a West Point grad tough as nails uh, but she um, and she was like the leader of about half a dozen state reps from most of them from down south of Urbana there's a there's a very conservative part of the state down there around Charleston and Effingham most of them are from down there but she was a leader of that group uh, was affectionately known within the General Assembly as the Flat Earth Society oh. uh, and she uh, again, ideological, uh, ran against Bruce Rauner because Bruce Rauner uh, was violating Republican principles, there, especially right. on an abortion bill that he signed. That oh, this is they, why I recognize her name. Yes. Okay, go and ahead. She almost, and she almost beat him. A man with you know $800 million yeah. and an incumbency came within a couple of percentage points of beating him in the primary. primary yeah. yeah but
0: would she have given pritzker a run for his money or no, she would have, she'd have got slaughtered, slaughtered. Oh, she okay. would just
1: it would have been worse than bruce rauner oh really yeah. oh yeah yeah because yeah. she i mean again we're not ideological in this state yeah. it's it's like uh we you know we want something that works which is one of the reasons why bruce rauner was so who did so badly in some sense you might say he was an ideological kind of a governor uh and but his ideology ideology was anti-union yeah he hated the unions uh, especially public sector unions like poison and uh, he went uh, and and in that sense, I mean, this shows you how Illinois politics uh, does not um, reward ideological perspective. It reward, it it rewards what works. Uh, Bruce Rauner's administration did not work. No. I mean, the 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 budget shutdown. Uh, we had two years with no uh, budget, right. which I was remember. greater. Great, I mean the. I was actually, I was doing a, was doing a paper once, at right around that time, and I was looking at, somebody had a, oh no, I was reviewing a paper, and they had used as an indicator of government gridlock uh, the length of time that they hadn't had a budget. <laughs> uh, and, and the maximum value on this particular variable was like you know, 243 days. And as I was reading this paper, we were in like day three hundred and forty-seven nice. of our shutdown, and it uh-huh. went on for a whole nother year. Yeah, so it's just like way beyond the pale. Uh, things were broken beyond—I mean, just bad, bad stuff. And even conservatives said, "This guy has got to go." Forty-nine percent of Republicans said this guy's got to go because uh, it didn't—it wasn't working. And they were even willing to put up with a movement conservative like Genie Ives, with you know, with you know, not much background,
0: because because
1: yeah. he screwed it up yeah
0: mm-hmm. whereas somebody like who was the previous governor of Wisconsin
1: oh Scott Walker
0: Scott Walker right had the same beliefs and yes. he done very he did very well
1: yeah and a fundamental difference between Scott Walker and Bruce Rauner Bruce Rauner w- thought he was gonna be Scott Walker that's how that was his model the big difference and the thing that he never understood and which hopefully any of your readers who ever took political science 101 would understand is that Scott Walker had sizable majorities in the Republican Party on both chambers, and in fact the the, the legislature in Wisconsin was pushing Walker to be more conservative than he was. Oh wow! Uh, and uh, whereas in Illinois, Rauner faced a supermajority of Democrats who were complete, you know, didn't didn't believe what he believed, and certainly the anti-union thing just pushed the unions directly into the democrats arms even more strongly and uh, just you know was led to his downfall but don't feel too sorry for him he's he's, he's a millionaire yeah well yeah he's, he's in italy in his villa he's got nine houses or something so i mean yeah i you know he's he wanted to you know see these rich guys that run for office you know we uh, currently well, got a
0: rich guy in the governor's
1: yes feet. exactly right Rit- what I, I call these people rich neophyte candidates okay When right? you know, you've got more money than midas and you run for a top office right away without having any experience we have one in our governor's office in fact uh i just looked at this for a thing i was doing the other month uh there's like six of them in governor's offices around the country oh, right really now. and if you if you count super i mean when i talk super it's like hundreds of millions of dollars okay. not just couple of million not just <laughs> that's a little bit of money but hundreds of of dollars and then that never held another office before five or six governors now and if you can com- president yeah, yeah that's that's <laughs> exactly that was i was getting there but but even beside that there's there's another 10 i think or 12 that are super rich but they just happen to be the secretary of department of ag or something before they became governor so there's a lot of that going on a lot <laughs> of that in the senate
0: why do people vote for that you got rich so you will help me get ri- i don't know yeah. that just seems
1: i don't know crazy. you mess you're you're rich you must be smart uh a big i guess one big factor is the money for, well, for the advertising yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's you know campaigns it's selling soap and if you got money you can sell more soap than if you're not and and there is a you know there's a cult of success in america i mean we you know if people are rich we you know, we think they're great. They must be good. I've, you hear that? Tr- Donald Trump is a good example. You hear his supporters oftentimes that he's a he's a rich business. He's successful. He must be good. Is that why he's so scared for his tax
0: returns to come out? Well, yeah.
1: I don't know. I don't know what he's worried about there. I think it's. I think it has to do with an accountant uh, problem. I think, as I understand it, an accountant problem. No, he's av- no a problem. He's he's being audited, as right. I understand oh. it. Right. <laughs> oh. Yeah, right. Okay,
0: uh, we're going to take another quick break here. My guest is Professor Chris Mooney, W. Russell Arrington Professor of State Politics in the Department of Political Science at UIC. I'm Professor Floros, and this is the Politics Classroom on UIC Radio, where music and culture ignite. You are listening to the Politics Classroom on UIC Radio, streaming live at radio.uic.edu. I'm speaking with Professor Chris Mooney, an expert on state politics here in the political science department at UIC. Our previous president, President Obama, mm-hmm. got his political start in Illinois, in the Illinois state legislature. He, right. was, a, he was a state senator for, representing Hyde Park, and then he went on to be a, a, a U.S. senator and then obviously president. So what did he, I mean, did Illinois help shape him as a politician, or wh- why didn't he stick around longer?
1: Well, um, you know, Obama, the Obama phenomenon is, you know, still resonates uh, through the political circles in Illinois. It was just such, a th- such an amazing thing to see this uh, person unexpectedly. Uh, rise up as he did. It's Not like a, oh, if a governor would run for president. Kind of a you know. N- even though we haven't had a governor from Illinois run for gov- for president, in who knows how long it's since Adelaide, Adelaide Stevenson. Yeah, I was guess. Say. Uh, It's it's always thought of. I mean, it's a big state. You know, maybe uh, somebody would you know where Bruce Rauner had some uh, ideas that if he could, if he would uh, if bef- before the whole thing fell I apart. I was gonna say, but but coming <laughs> in, if he was gonna be you know big. You know, uh, a Republican breaking the public unions in a big Democratic state. That'll look good on a, residen- a presidential view- resume. I w- okay. Yeah, so so Obama, um, uh, he, he, he's shaped by Illinois politics for sure, uh, but not exactly in the normal way that most of Illinois politicians <laughs> okay. are. Okay. I mean, as, as we know the story, uh, you know, of him uh, down in Roseland uh, working as a community organizer mm-hmm. c- from the bottom up, Saul Linsky. Devotee and so forth. So he saw, you know, this is where he he's. I mean, he came to do that. He never been. I don't know if he'd ever been in Chicago before when he came to 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 be the community organizer. I'm not exactly sure how he lighted on that particular place. Right. Uh, But um, you know, so he was very much involved in grassroots politics in on the south side of Chicago before he went to law school, and then uh, he came back. Uh, and uh, from law school and um, got involved in formal politics he um, he was never barack obama during his time as a senator uh was state n- senator, state senator yeah. was never well n- liked and loved in springfield he never fit in okay uh, he was different in a lot of ways than you know he was i mean he held himself apart he was a little bit um, he tried to be, he tried to be a good old boy. He tried, you know, he played basketball down to the Y. He played a poker games. You know, he did that. But he still was a little bit sort of a little lofty. You know, I mean, you can imagine the voice and the, the, the intelligence. Yeah. Uh, and. Uh,
0: intelligence doesn't go over well in Springfield. Well, you know. In the, it, it, he didn't have a lot of humility maybe back then.
1: I, I can't I don't know if that's true or not it's hard to know because i I didn't I didn't really know him when he was first coming up but uh, the um uh, it's it's American politics is not a place that embraces intellectualism in general, <laughs> and we were kind of an Fair. anti-intellectual country. And he's he's an intellectual guy. He's you know he represents Hyde Park. He was teaching some law school classes right. over there. He's he comes across as super brilliant. He, you know uh, he always did. Just like you, we all know like he is now. And uh, so he was he was he was seen as an outsider. He's always an outsider. D- did he work well with them? Yes, he worked and he did work. Uh, and um, in fact, uh, you know he started off. Uh, being well hated by the sort of regular politicians down there because he he uh used a political dirty trick in a sense to uh oust uh, to get in office in the first place because it mm. was a state well-loved state senator from Hyde Park Alice Palmer who he uh ran against and uh she had won many times with no challenge so she was kind of sloppy on her petitions uh that is the you got to circulate the petition to get enough signatures to get on the ballot and in an old old style Chicago politics uh Maneuver, uh, Obama challenged her petitions, and she didn't have enough, and she was kicked off the bout, And he was the only one on, and he won. And so that was kind of held against him for a while.
0: Well, but I see. I just read a profile of him from two thousand and eight, before he was mm-hmm. actually elected, and they were talking about this particular episode yeah. that you're talking about. In that, um, wasn't she supposed to run for Carol Mosley Braun's seat or a representative in? And then it turned. Then something happened, and she she was going to lose. So uh obama had already declared his candidacy and then they were like oh you should step aside and let her stay in her job yeah and he said no it was something like that Yeah,
1: right yeah i mean but but the the point (laughs) is that that she's out and he's in uh right and and he He he
0: didn't do the uh chicago uh machine thing of
1: of stepping aside stepping aside Yeah, yeah no and you know and so and he you know obama himself says that he learned more in the in, in working in the state senate than he ever learned in the u.s senate well of he wasn't he, in the u.s senate for he wasn't in the, yeah he was basically running for president right but the but the, 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 the what he meant by that and and the way he explains it is that the state ledger is a place where people actually discuss policy and actually you know work things out and get in a room together and, Whereas it doesn't happen that much in Congress anymore. It's mm. mostly staff-driven, and all the legislators are all on the phone asking people for money. Right, right. Uh, and so he's seriously he to learn a lot more about policy, learned a lot more about people and politics in the state Senate. Uh, and Illinois is a great place for that, too, because Illinois is really, s- in some sense, a microcosm of the, of the nation. Uh, maybe less than it once was, but we're still one of the most average states. And so you have, <laughs> you know— I don't know if that's a
0: ringing endorsement <laughs> of this state, but go on. Yeah. <laughs>
1: But it's you know it's we're, it's,
0: we're really uh, average. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, we've got you know in, in terms of percentages of so, the party, in no, terms no, no, of, no, of yeah. uh, demographics, so, we're very right. similar. In terms of having different set of regions, we got urban, we got rural. You know, we've got poor, we got rich, we got suburbs. So so he had to work with all those kinds of people, and he worked with people from the southern part of the state. We're more like Southerners, uh, and and urban and 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 suburban people. So yeah, so he he said he he learned a lot and and thought highly of the place. Uh, as soon as he ran for Senate. U.S. Uh, Senate. U.S. Senate. He, uh, and, and especially because that is sort of coincident with his national publicity. Because I mean, he becomes famous nationally in uh, July of 2004 because he's, when he's a candidate for U.S. Senate and he's tapped to give a speech at the Democratic National Com- Convention uh, and the famous one where he talks about we're not red, we're not uh, blue or purple and that makes him a star, and from then on he's a a star and he's gonna run for president right away, yeah.
0: Um, Were the folks in Springfield
1: glad to see the back of him? I don't know that he was all that much of a pain in the neck to a lot of people. Um, and certainly, the person that succeeded him is a guy named Kwame Raoul, who mm-hmm. is now our Attorney General. Mm-hmm. Uh, very effective legislator, uh, you know, very uh, good representative from down there in the Hyde Park area. USC um, uh,
0: alum is running for that seat this coming oh, really? round. Yeah. Okay. I can't remember his name right now, All but right.
1: yeah. <laughs> Go so ahead. Sorry, yeah. you no, were that's saying. No, uh, but you know, that, but the one thing that they that did happen and was uh, and it still is there's sort of a glow when when he ran. Nobody ex- I mean nobody understood what was going to happen and uh, you know, it was just a it was a I, I, uh, My wife and uh, and my daughter went down and I went down to see him when he announced to run it was in February 2017 it was freezing cold and it was outside at the old state capitol and That's when I knew there was something was happening because th- a lot of people showed up and most importantly a ton of international media I was getting calls from France and Korea and everything else And this is just for a guy starting off his run, you know, he's two years into a Senate term, uh, and um, people around town were just like blown away. I mean, you know, people in Illinois politics are a very cynical bunch, (laughs) generally speaking, (laughs) Okay. right? Uh, But, you know, people in Springfield were extremely excited uh, about it and you know like oh, I used to play basketball with him oh, I saw him at the stop-and-go you know <laughs> or whatever right or I served him when he came to my diner or something like that yeah. everybody's got a story right about Obama and uh,
0: do you have an Obama story
1: oh I ran into him a few times I didn't I didn't know him but uh, um, yeah that's mostly just to, <laughs> say, to say hello <laughs> okay and, uh, one and you know one thing that was very interesting about his run and showed how cool he was was when he was running uh, uh for that U.S. Senate seat, the Republicans put a, uh, uh, a shadow on him of, a, of, a, of a, like a videographer to follow him around every minute oh. of the day to try to f- try to catch him saying something you know embarrassing they could put on a commercial. It's it's kind of standard anymore. Really? Yeah, yeah, it happens. Uh, and but 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 the guy was following him around. He was kind of obnoxious. Young guy with a video camera following him around. So he's in the, he, and he was in the, it was in the uh, state house. So he, the guy's following. So he just, he just wandered up to the state house press room on the second floor, and the guy files him right in. He goes, "Here, you guys, look what's going on here." And then it turned into a big story, embarrassed the Republicans, and uh, you know, got rid of the videographer. So yeah, he's a cool customer that way.
0: And that Senate race was strange in that, you know. It, Obama wasn't quite a carpetbagger when he ran for for office, but didn't didn't the Republicans bring? <laughs> wasn't that the Allen yes. Keys election? Yep. They yep. they imported somebody from uh, Maryland or wherever yep. to run against him.
1: Yeah, yeah, the whole election was uh, was messed up, and and you know, uh, Obama was super lucky. Okay, any successful politician is is a lucky person. Okay. Right? Cause you got to have a lot of luck to be to, to be successful in politics look at a like a Bill Clinton or something Bill Clinton lucky he, super lucky guy uh, You know in 4th of July 1992 he was third in the polls playing saxophone on Arsenio Hall right. show And uh, you know, then Ross Perot exploded and uh, you know other things happening and, and and his wife didn't his wife stood by him right. when he had those things. So yeah uh, Obama was lucky uh, in a number of ways, uh, on this Senate seat in particular, because in the primary, a week before the primary, he was running third in the polls. And the guy who was in the lead in the polls, a guy named Blair Hall his divorce records came out in the last week, and it turns out he punched his wife in the ankle or something. And uh, and then the uh, the guy who was in second turned out to be a poor campaigner. So Obama goes from third, and he wins the primary squeak spot. Okay, wow, that's a you know as a surprise. Everybody was kind yeah. like, of what happened there. Uh, two weeks before, you would never have predicted it. Okay. Uh, and then, the Republicans nominate a guy named Jack Ryan, who not only has the same name as the, pre- the governor who's in prison, had uh, oh, th- right. that, a Republican yeah. governor's in prison, but he was also a rich neophyte guy, never had any background, and he has a bad, dis- turns out he has a bad divorce story, which I won't get into, because it's crazy, uh, and uh, involves Jerry Ryan, a famous actress. Uh, who's hopefully ex-wife. no relate
0: oh yeah the, yes, okay, right, okay 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 yeah. yeah 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 okay so
1: he so he quits uh, and so they had the Republicans scramble around and the republicans i mean obama was by this time famous from the campaign from the uh, convention everybody loved him he's like you know the second coming of christ uh and so they basically well like uh, and they let the movement conservative part wing of the party with like a 20% or so of the republican electorate in the state to make the choice and it was a, it was it was it was a, a party organization replaced, this guy. and they picked Alan Keyes, who was a conservative talk show radio host from Maryland, who happens to be black. And they thought, oh, okay, we'll get somebody who's black to counter him, right? And he turned out to be ridiculous in and, yeah. and the extreme, and uh, and Obama just slaughtered him. Uh, it was the worst, or the the worst defeat by any statewide candidate I think I've ever seen. Keyes won, I think, six six counties. Counties of a total population of about 10,000 or oh something. Oh, no. You know. Yeah, no, he, he just got slaughtered, never to be heard from again.
0: Really? That was the end for him?
1: Uh, in Illinois. I'm oh. not, I mean He's probably on some 5,000-watt radio station in yeah. uh, Omaha now. Okay,
0: but we're we're streaming, <laughs> so I don't know if okay. we can make fun of a 5,000-watt no. <laughs> radio station. But he's station. also
1: making his living at it, and you're just doing this as a service to the community. Oh, so.
0: thank you, thank you. Um, okay, so we're, we're running out of time, but um, two final things. Is it too early on the state level to start talking about 2020? Right, because obviously the Democrats at the national level, I mean, this is going to
1: go on forever.
0: but you know you're talking oh, 2020? about
1: oh it's never too early. it's it's you know yeah absolutely right it's a good time to be talking about it uh, really well it's only you know it's a less than a year to the election for kind of a lot now <laughs> now 2020
0: well you're talking about somebody who got put on the ballot in like august
1: yes but that i mean usually we well we have our primary in march right. like, generally when it happens yeah. and so when's the filing deadline uh it's in usually the first week of december or something like that okay. so you know we're coming up yeah, there there's yeah. there's circulating petitions right now so it's just happening uh the thing we, we we do president on presidential years presidential election years we usually have less action on the illinois ballot because our statewide officers including the governor are not on the ba- we, we elect them on the off years like most states do uh, and um we have a u.s senate seat coming up in 2020 Okay, now you caught me. I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know either. Like, I, should I, mean, know I think this. I think Duckworth is up. Is she? Okay. I think she might be up. Okay. Anyway, so that be you know, if any, if anything, that's the only one that we'd have on a statewide basis. And the primary might be interesting, and also, the, but the but the but the presidential election won't be very interesting. We won't be a battleground state. Uh, if Trump is nominated by the Republicans, what will be interesting to see is how badly he gets beat. Uh, I mean, I think you don't know, say that. It'd be twenty uh, in Illinois. Oh, in Illinois. <laughs> You know, is it going to be 20 points? Is it going to be 30 points? You know, we'll see. Uh, but otherwise, but in the legislature, that's what matters. Yeah. You're that's right. what matters. Yeah. And the republic or the Democrats are a little exposed right now because they won a lot of marginal seats last year, right. like all these seats in DuPage I was right. talking about. So they're really out there on some areas that really are kind of traditionally Republican. So one would think that they're, you know, given that, that they are likely to lose a few seats next time. mm mm-hmm. But given the national climate and the revulsion for Trump among the vast majority of people in the state, sure, uh, I think uh, it's still going to be it's still going to be a D year, uh, and I don't know that the, I don't know it's possible for the Democrats to pick up more seats. <laughs> you know, in uh, legis- are I, I, I just don't know if there's any that they could do in it, but they might, and you know, so but they might lose a couple. But it really, in some ways, it won't matter because they're so far ahead at the moment.
0: Well, and so so then in Illinois all of the action is the primary
1: not always not always but I mean except a lot for these
0: margin- marginal yes. seats right
1: well in the margin yeah, politics is all about the margins right yeah. it's about who you know right and so yeah m- most places it's yeah uh, let's say in this it's, let's say in 118 uh, seats in the, in the house every two years are up um, there will probably be five of those seats that are competitive in the general election and, uh, or maybe a little bit more, but not much more. And that's where all the money gets poured in. And those, those races will be one, two, three, four, five million dollar races. Hmm. Uh, and the rest of them uh, in the general election won't be because they're basically, you know, it's a, in an area that's full of Democrats or an area that's the full poor, of Republicans. Yeah. You know, people live, you know, birds of a feather flock together, as they say. And uh, we tend to live around people that have similar political views. And uh, legislative districts are as small as districts get, yeah. you know, in, a, in our political system. And, and so. Speaking you
0: know. of districts, I, I know, you know, I'm thinking about, so I'm in the 11th Ward, right? So I'm in the old Daily Ward. Ah. And I'm in, I always get the number wrong. I'm mm-hmm. in Lipinski's. Uh, Third. Third, right. I don't don't know why I always think that uh, Garcia is third and Lipinski is fourth. But, okay, third. By the way, yeah. Which is one of the stupidest shaped. I mean, both of them are. But Lipinski's is. And he almost lost the primary uh, last time around. And he's facing the same candidate who's Mm -hmm. had two more years to do whatever she's done in the last two years. So it, it, it's I don't know. It's kind of interesting because I think when most people think of 2020, they're thinking of November. Mm-hmm. And certainly there is a lot at stake in November. But if there are challenges from the right or left, depending on which party you you care more about, um, you know, that
1: those races should be heat,
0: uh, heating up over like Christmas.
1: Yeah. they th- Yeah. They're now they're in the sort of silent phase and then they're getting things to working together. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're really going to start. I mean, people are already walking precincts. I mean, they do that mm. when they when they get petitions. So you you have that going on. Um, and yeah. I
0: ha- I actually was for you know non-radio reasons invited to a political fundraiser like a month ago. So mm-hmm. they're raising money. Right,
1: raising money, getting volunteers, sort of uh, delving strategies, figuring out you know doing a lot of polling to figure out where are the races that they can compete. I mean, the party does this. Yeah. You know, should we devote resources like in Lipinski's race? Should you know the 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 the, the House uh, campaign com- Democratic campaign committee. I forget the exact title of it. Run by uh, Sherry Brustos, who's one of our Congress people from over in the Quad Cities area, yeah. is backing him because they back incumbents. Uh, whereas the sort of left wing, the Squad ACO, they are backing um, Marie Newman, who is his opponent. Because and the, primarily it comes down to the fact that Lipinski is an old school conservative, uh, Catholic. Republic, I mean, Democrat. <laughs> right. No. I think yeah. you almost said well, the right yeah. thing there. And uh and and you know, the district has changed yeah. over time. It's not full of, you know, old Irish Catholics and yeah. and, uh, and and Polish people like it once was. Yeah. Um, well, that's what I'm saying.
0: I'm wondering, you know, if, if they only redistrict every ten years, t- in ten years, a lot can change. No bad. Yeah. A- and uh, I think it's going to be really curious to see if right because what. One thing um, that when I was reading this profile of Obama, he he unsuccessfully ran for Congress against mm-hmm. uh, Bobby Rush, and then uh, it came time to redistrict, and Rush redistricted redistricted Obama. Out of his district, so he couldn't challenge him again.
1: Yeah, I mean that, that 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 is, and 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 therefore he had to run for the U.S. Senate when Michelle said, "Get out of the state senate. I'm sick of this. Uh, you know, you got an upper out boy." And uh, did she really say that? He, well, that's what she says in her biography. Yeah, oh. yeah, and, and maybe not in those words, uh, but uh, yeah. So he runs for Senate, and the rest is history, right? Yes. Uh, Redistricting, especially the congressional redistrict, uh, redistricting, state, redistricting is done by the state legislature and the governor. It's, you pass it in a regular bill if you've got majorities in both chambers. Uh, and so they care about the state legislature. They don't care about Congress. Illinois politics, again, Illinois politics don't care about. You, who do we send to Congress? We send people that don't fit in. Obama, <laughs> Durbin, get them out of Or else somebody's idiot brother-in-law or son. Like, I mean, not an idiot. Lipinski is actually quite a smart guy. He's got a PhD in political science, but he's the son of the former right. guy, uh, and uh, so so we, we don't. The, the, who's right drawing the maps? They don't really care so much about Congress. So what they do is they, at least in the last few go is they've set up sort of incumbency protection districts. You know, so how are we going to? You know, we we're going to lose a couple of seats. We'll lose one seat, for example, in the 2000 and uh, the 2001 redistricting, they lost one seat, uh, and so. The congressional delegation got together and said, "Well, who's gonna who we gonna lose?" And uh, there was a guy named David Phelps, who was a deep South, Southern Democrat, right wing, gospel singer. Uh, and the Democrats said, "Okay, you know yeah. we don't care about him. You can he can go." And so they drew the map. So they have John Shimkus's district in those days it went all the way from Kankakee all the way down to the very almost the very tip of the state, and it had a little it had this long piece and a little nipple at the very end and that nipple was David Phelps's house and that's the, you know so you get that kind of thing going on and certainly that's the case with Obama because back in those days nobody was going to be Jesse Jackson Jr. on the south side of Chicago right uh, now the different different right. story today yeah. but uh, yeah that was the way it was in those days
0: interesting all right well we have run out of time but I want to thank you Professor Christopher Mooney political science professor here at UIC please come back and talk more about Illinois politics maybe a around the primary I can have you back anytime all right next Tuesday please join me in the politics classroom when I will interview Dr. David Greenstein a historian who works at the Richard J. Daly Library at UIC among other responsibilities Dr. Greenstein manages the library special collection of the political papers of multiple generations of daily politicians in Chicago history So if you've got any questions for Dr. Greenstein, please send them at Dr. Floros on Twitter. That's all I've got for this week. I'm Professor Floros, class dismissed.